Uh, it has been so awesome to see more of you interacting and engaging in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. I love see- seeing and hearing from you guys. Um, if you haven't yet, go ahead and just post in there. Post an introduction who you are and why you're called to learn more about foster adoption or what your calling is or connection is to the foster adoptive world. Um, If you're a parent, if you're a mentor, if you're a community member, if you have any questions, throw it in there. I would love to see more chatter from people that are not just me, right? From you guys. I have just been loving the guests lately that have been on the podcast, and today's guest is no exception. Uh, Jessica Sinarski is a counselor. She's a licensed therapist, um, but she has also written the book, Riley the Brave Makes It to School, which is a children's book, Um, and she also is the founder of Brave Brains. So... She's such a relevant guest to talk about trauma. She's really going to talk about the PACE model. Um, And PACE was actually founded or developed by Dan Hughes, um, who is big in the childhood trauma space. And PACE, P-A-C-E, stands for playful, accepting, curious, and empathetic. So really a lot of the stable moments model is derived kind of off this model. And Jessica walks us through this model and gives us a bunch of practical application that we can use when we are interacting with kids, especially kids from tough beginnings. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear from Jessica's wisdom today. I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us today on the podcast. I'm excited to hear about your work. Um, If you can just go ahead and jump in and tell us a little bit about your background and um, what led you to starting Brave Brains. Sure. So my, I sort of jumped in the deep end with foster care adoption when I graduated from my master's program in counseling psych. I, my first job was at a foster care social support agency in the South Bronx. And I immediately learned that I didn't, I hadn't learned what I needed to, to be helpful and effective as I think many of us in this world sort of find out along the way. And so I really started seeking what was going to be helpful for some of these 
you know, systemic issues, some of these, the, the um, recidivism where uh, a young mom was in foster care and now she's having a baby and she's struggling with, you know, just all the layers upon layers of grief and trauma and, and loss. And it wrecked me for a while, um, I think as, as we would expect. <laughs> and I have sort of been on the path throughout my career since then of finding where I can be a support and learning the things I need to learn to to be helpful in better ways. One of the things that's been really transformational for me is learning more about the brain and um, and especially attachment in the brain and how that's impacted by developmental trauma. And so through through the course of learning lots and lots and lots about that, I realized um, that's what needs to be out there more. And so I'm thrilled that that is happening more. It's not the only piece of the puzzle, but it is a really significant piece of the puzzle when we can figure out that, that we're all acting as our brains are wired to act. And so if we can, if we can see the real issue, instead of just the defiant behavior, um, we, we have a chance at regulating nervous systems and reawakening, um all kinds of wonderful things hope and trust and and uh, a, a way forward yeah i love that so tell me about brave brains and like your what makes you you your secret sauce sure so i i have i've been in a few different roles but largely in the mental health you know therapy end of things outpatient therapy in particular and I, my wait list kept getting longer and longer. And I, I just, I couldn't see the families that needed to be seen. And what I realized is the kind of work I was doing wasn't being done everywhere. Um, the sort of, you know, depth of knowledge around adoption and around trauma and what it really is and what it really does. And the, the, um, one of the big things that I do is take the shame out of a lot of how kids and parents for that matter are responding how our brains and bodies respond in the face of threat and and chronic stress and trauma and so that came together in sort of a funny way in the riley the brave picture book the first book that i ever released was a picture book and it's super innocent on the on the cover but it really lets readers experience their strength that they were brave like a porcupine they were brave like a tiger they were brave like a turtle and um, that has spoken not just to kids but a lot of adults and um, my one of my grandparents was like i wish this book was around when i was a kid (laughs) because it just hasn't been talked about in that way you you adapt to dangerous surroundings the way you need to adapt but that can become problematic later so our greatest strengths are can be our you know hanging us up in other other situations so that's really one of the one of the focal points for me is reframing the narrative that these aren't bad kids doing bad things these are really brave kids who've overcome sad and scary things these are these are incredibly resilient communities that are trying to find their way forward in a world that was not you know is it, it has not been accepting and and embracing there there are so many layers to it and so my purpose in um with brave brains which is a resource and training platform is to help 
um, parents think about these things differently. I do a lot of training in schools and um, around, you know, school discipline and how we think about the kids that we're working with and around social emotional health and, you know, just all of those layers in the community. And then also a lot of education for therapists, social workers, you know, community professionals who are working with our kids because so often I would have families come to me who've gotten terrible advice from pediatricians and, you know, their therapist and so-and-so. These people they turn to for help are telling them things that are absolutely not going to be helpful, but maybe what they learned in grad school, you know, and that's, that's I think, the, the challenge right now is we're at this shifting point of um, the, the knowledge at universities not necessarily reaching the practitioners where, where they need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are seeing, you know, grassroots programs and programs like stable moments and, and, and where there's some in parents that are just coming to their communities, bringing right. it to their churches and saying, Hey, there needs to be a perspective shift. And we're hearing more and more about it. And I don't think it's just cause I'm in the space, but I mean, we're just hearing more and more about trauma, especially, you know, collective trauma and yes. just in the world today. Um, and, and it really makes me think about how, if you can, it's like putting on your, you know, glasses, it's like a yes. different lens. If you put yes. on this different lens and this different perspective, and you do learn to see behavior as communication, or That's you right. see trauma or defiance as brave, these brave kids you know, it allows you to put that perspective on with, with humans in general. Right. And so, That's right. And, and we, for some reason, we just have so much more capacity for empathy when it's kids. Yes. Um, that's exactly right. With adults. Yes. So one of the areas that I love to work is with, is with parents and taking the shame out of their natural response to their kids porcupine and tiger moments Mm. so if you're faced with a little raging tiger um, it's not a raging tiger it's a beautiful brave cub who looks like a tiger at the moment but your brain's natural natural stance is is defense or even offense right to defend protect preserve get away you know none of the things that are particularly helpful for attachment Mm. and so I I work with so many parents who end up in this state um, that's been coined blocked care um, because literally neurologically their brains are shutting down the systems of care because it's so painful. Mm -hmm. It is so painful for that, that love, that effort to not feel reciprocated. And so when that, when that has a name, when we can call it what it is, we can, we can see brains functioning the way that they're designed to function we can also find our way out of it. And that has just been so, um, such a relief to so many parents that I work with that this is normal. You're not a bad person. You are a strong parent on a, on a journey with your brave kid, right? Like we're all in this together and, and how we think about it matters, how we, you know, change that, change that dialogue, change the story we're telling ourselves. It doesn't make it all magically go away, but it's a different, it's not me against the kid. It's us against the trauma or it's us, you know, together writing our own new story or, you know, like it just, it just, it just shifts. And that's what I think of in my work a lot is there's so much raw material that's amazing. That's like, 
just amazing in the the kids and families that I work with. If we can just shift a little bit, if we can just put those lenses on that let us see behind the behavior, that let us um, that let us hold the whole nervous system in in context and not take things personally and all those things that are so hard then we can we can just turn ever so slightly and that changes the whole trajectory for that kiddo for that family and um that is you know i know the science behind it but it still feels pretty magical absolutely and as you were talking so you know i was thinking oh yeah and like if we get this way with our kids, we can be this way with other humans. But you really reminded me that when we're in those moments and we're not in a space to hold that whole nervous system, we're not being empathetic and we're just not a cute cub, you know, it's not, yes. even a, it's not even a tiger. It's something that, you know, so I, I, I get that. And I love the empathy, um, and seeing the behavior as, brave first starting with our behavior, like giving that mm. empathy to ourselves and being like, mm -hmm. this is what's happening in my body right now. And I mm -hmm. can't even see past what's right in front of me. And knowing those times that either I totally know, like dealing with a toddler that I need to take a break yep. um, or like, or I make decisions that I feel bad about later. And I remember right. I used to tell as a social worker, I used to tell my parents like, okay, but at the end of the day, you are the parent, you made the decision, you know, mm -hmm. you might've sent them to their room or there was something that you knew that you shouldn't have done, but like you did it. Mm -hmm. um, and you're okay being the parent at the end of the day. Like, it's okay that you were a parent, you know, yeah, and, that's right. and that you didn't, we don't have to carry shame and all the decisions that we needed to make. But I love that how it starts because I'm so one that's like I take in the content and then I go like, OK, so, you know, I make a checklist and I'm like, I just need to approach children like this. and I need to approach people like this and being empathetic and compassionate and um, using the pace model, which we're going to talk about. It doesn't um, it's not necessarily just like a, a checklist, like it's yes. something that comes from in us, you know, yes. Yeah, that's that's spot on. When I so so pace the acronym, if you're not familiar, is um, P is for playful or playfulness. A is acceptance. C is curiosity, and E is for empathy. And it was developed by Dan Hughes, who has worked extensively with with kids with pretty significant developmental trauma. And I have just found you know, like you're talking about, it's just a way of interacting with humans that is helpful. I think it's really necessary when we're working with kids um, or adults, for that matter, who've had some developmental trauma. Like, we have to keep that in mind, too, that it's not like, oh, they turned 18. And so now they're no longer, you know, no longer, no compassion allowed anymore. No, if there's that history of trauma and there hasn't been a safe big critter, there hasn't been a, a, a grown up that's really co-regulated with them and helped them make sense of themselves and their feelings and and their their brain and their body then how can we expect anything different than the bad behavior that we're that we're seeing so i it, it's not a checklist though right i also 
like, you know, you go to a training and you want, you want to do all the things and there's really no way to do all the things all the time. So if you're listening and feeling like, oh, great, one more thing I'm supposed to be doing that I'm falling short on, it's okay. <laughs> you know, we, we, I, I think these are ways of being and ways of understanding ourselves and others that can be can be really helpful and can unlock parts of you that maybe you didn't realize were there. Maybe you don't feel like a playful person. So the thought of being playful with your kiddo is like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I was fine with dentist appointments and and snotty noses, but now you want me to play too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. There's a, there's a way to be playful within that that might just unlock something new in you. Yeah, I really, really, really love this you you're right. You can't be them all at the same time. And you wouldn't want to be, you know, if a kid is, is breaking down and having some really big emotions, maybe playful isn't, isn't where we go. Right. Right. So, um, break down for us what, um, pace looks like sure. in action. Yeah. So you're right that if, if a kiddo is super angry and has just really flipped into what I, what I call a tiger moment, um, playful may not be your best stance, but it might be play playfulness is really a, a lighthearted um, sort of embracing of of life. And there are times that a that a, a puppet coming in and saying, oh, my gosh, such big feelings. Ah, I want to scream and run ah, can be enough to to pull that kiddo back into their upstairs brain. You you guys have talked about this on the show before, the upstairs and downstairs brain. I use that language a lot. I find kids, parents, everybody really relates to it. So so playfulness, it, it might be that dramatic as like having a puppet or something, but it can also be a little a little wink, a little side nudge, a little a little like um I I had a a kid uh, a young adult who would come in and she'd say all right, woman, what are we doing today? And there's a way in which you could see that as disrespectful, but it was just like, there was just such a familiarity in how she said it to me that it made me smile. And then it became this like playful way that we started our time together where we were doing some really intense work. Um, So sometimes that's play, right? That's playfulness. It's not getting out a board game and, and playing, you know, exactly according to the rules necessarily. That can be great too, but that's to develop a different skill set. What, what we're talking about in the PACE model of, of um, playfulness is, you know, singing a silly song when you're asking your kids to brush their teeth or, um, you know, jumping like kangaroos to get to bed or, um, you know, using an exaggerated voice with your teenager, having some inside joke with your teen where, you know, you slip on your aviator glasses and blast Top Gun, you know, songs or whatever. Like the, the, it's the little things that, um, that breed connection and, and shared joy and safe physical touch and safe eye contact, all these things that, that kids um, in foster care especially, but lots of kids, lots of adults that that we're working with have not had enough of. And those are the building blocks. Those are the things that make the brain chemicals like oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin come alive in ways that are helpful for the brain. And so as silly as it sounds to play pop cheeks, you know, to to play little games with faces and peekaboo and those kinds of things, it is 
um, it is an essential component of brain development. And so we find we find silly little ways to weave that in when kids are older. Don't demean your kids, like don't go play pop cheeks if they don't want you touching their face. That's not helpful. We never you can never force play. But a lot of kids who haven't had enough play relish the opportunity to have a little bit of um, of joy if you can tune into how they how they respond to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love that. So I have encountered mentors before that have asked, like, at what point do we address the behavior? Yes. And it's really, so I've done it before where I've mirrored a kid, like say they stomp or they kick something and then I kick something. Mm -hmm. um, and I mirror kind of what they're doing in a playful mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, that's not going to get that type of reaction. And they might side smile and might get out of it, mm -hmm. but it allows mm -hmm. us to have that conversation. So is that how you morph into like the, the curious, the curiosity to be able to have conversations about the behaviors? Yes. Yes. So I find, um, pace sort of, it, it all weaves together. So even, even what you just did with the sort of, um, stomping, with them, not making fun of them, but but sort of playfully saying, oh, are we gonna be mad now? Let's be mad now. <clears throat> I'm gonna stop too, <clears throat> right? That that, that um, is a form of acceptance. So mm -hmm. the, the A in pace is acceptance and you're saying, yeah, you're mad, I get it. Or or even, gosh, it's so, it's so scary to be here with me. And um, and that can be really hard and, and lead to these big feelings or whatever. That's probably too many words for that moment, but that might be what you're what you're saying later as you are brushing the horse or, or you know whatever the the activity is and as you were talking about you know well how do we set the limit because there do have to be limits there do have to be limits i am not an advocate of permissive parenting i think so often though we can set the limits um in ways that our kids can hear better so if i go into stern voice and furrow my eyebrows and say, don't talk to me that way. We're, we're just escalating. <laughs> you know, it's not going to go well. But if I can say, oh my goodness, I think, did you mean Miss, Miss Susie, can I please be done brushing right now? Is that what you meant to say? I think that's what you meant to say. Here, try, have this brush back and see if you can hand it to me and say, can we be done now? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm saying that in more of a little kid way, you got to temper it for, for the age that you're working with. But even down to like, you know, the kid asking you the same thing a million times, one of my go-tos is singing the answer. It's really hard to yell when you're singing. So um, <laughs> if you've ever heard me in training before, it's not uncommon for me to say like, I've already answered that question and the answer hasn't changed. And maybe swing the kiddo around a little bit, do a little dance, get in a little sensory input. All of that is so helpful for getting the part of the brain online that can learn and change. Otherwise, we're just reinforcing the, the negative you know, pathways that are already ingrained. So I really, in all of my work, I want to help parents wake up that upstairs brain wake up those pathways to trust and safety and connection so playfulness is a great tool in the toolbox acceptance um you know sometimes it's behaviorally accepting like you just did sometimes it's saying "Ooh, i get that this is really hard or 
um, or wow, you you were expecting that we were going to start at noon and now it's 1205 and that feels like a really long time. That is a really long time for you to wait and you've had to wait for so many things, haven't you? Yeah, I'm really sorry I'm late or whatever it is, right? Um, that we as humans want to be known and seen and valued and and the kids that we're working with haven't had that they've they've had so many decisions made for them um pro probably if they're in a situation of foster care their parents have probably had lots of instances of that as well and so we just have layer upon layer of loss and grief and um if we can accept that this is really hard and your brain is wired in a way to defend against me even though i like you mm. Ooh, i get that it it makes me think of <laughs> there was a, a kid i was working with who um she would tell her mom her adoptive mom that she was excited to see me but then she'd get to my office and be grumpy so you know sour just not talking totally in defense brain and we were mom and I were kind of puzzled, like, what's going on? And then I had been talking with mom about, because um, she she would be reactive toward mom sometimes too, and her biggest behaviors and feelings came out toward mom. And and we were talking about, it's because she feels safe with you. You know, the fact that she feels safe with you lets her, lets her be her worst self, right? And so she came into my office and I was like, it's because you like me. You like me and that's so scary. You don't want to like me. <laughs> so she would get all grumpy and she looks up at me and she's like, hmm, that was it. You know, it was that it was a positive experience and positive experiences felt dangerous. Mm. It's so weird, right? But when you get down to it, that's what we're that's what we're dealing with. So if we can accept that, if we can be curious about it, and that's part of what mom and I were doing. What's going on here? I wonder, I wonder, um, you know, what's triggering this or gosh, this is so confusing. This is a puzzle for us to solve together. Mm. We're in this together to figure out what's going on. Gosh, every time we have our mentor, our, our mentor time, it seems like about 20 minutes in, you're really frustrated. I wonder what's going on there. Oh, it's been like three hours since you ate. I wonder if you need a snack halfway through. I wonder if we should start our, our time with a snack. You know, sometimes it's that simple, mm -hmm. but we we can get so stuck in, you are not allowed to be grumpy and destructive in our time together. That's not allowed. Mm -hmm. Okay, but <laughs> we're not actually solving the problem, right. you know? And so I think that's where, that's another um, value to pace is that that curiosity can help us figure out what's really going on underneath. Yeah, and I love curiosity for the times that we have no clue what we're doing and we oh, are completely overwhelmed and we have realized that we're completely frustrated and the pausing and the like, hmm, what's going on here? What just happened in my body? Yes, you and know? even saying that out loud. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and that a lot of the acceptance sounds like the validating and the labeling and being able to um, say what's going on and put words to mm -hmm. feelings and mm -hmm. action. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
not just label, labeling it, but I love the, the further step of validating it, that it's normal, normalizing yeah. it, you know, and saying like, yeah, I would feel that way too. Or um, a lot of our activities do talk about other times that we might feel this way. Hmm. So we might get frustrated with a horse because we have activities that almost, it would be hard to not get frustrated because they're sure. difficult activities. Yeah. Um, but we do talk about how, how that comes up in, in other ways and, and how it's normal and how everybody feels that way. And that's right. So I love that. And I love curiosity when, cause I think one of the bigger things for mentors, community mentors is they're coming in and dealing with, you know, a kid that they completely, and I would, I would guess foster parents too. And there's just a lot of unknowns. Yes. You know, just so many, like, I have no clue what I'm doing here. And then there's like this weird pressure we put on ourselves that we're supposed to know. Yeah. And so then we just like pretend something's not happening or we yes. like steamroll yes. over it. Yeah. And even at, as you're saying that, it's making me think of what a shared experience that could be with a kiddo to say, holy moly, you don't know me. I don't know you. And here I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be taking care of you. And that must feel really weird and scary or, you know, gosh, we're going to spend this hour together and we don't even know each other. And you've met a lot of people in your life. And I've met a lot of people in your life, in my life, but this is brand new. So I feel a little awkward. Do you feel a little awkward? You know, like if we can just be honest with ourselves and, and not, um, like you said, not feel like we have to have all the answers, but just have a human experience together that that can break the ice a little bit. I, I talk with foster parents a fair bit about, uh, and there are some that have taught me this actually, that you know we have to think about this kiddo who's suddenly showing up at your door, right? If If I went anywhere, I would hope that I could bring my backpack and pack these supplies and make a plan and know where I'm staying and all of that. Our kids don't have any of that. They're just suddenly at your house. And so to really have compassion for how weird that is and, and say it out loud, gosh, we're going to try to kind of do this weird family thing together, even though I know you have family. And so, you know, I want you to know that you're safe here and that I value your, your, the rest of your family. And we probably do some things that feel really weird to you. And, you know, let's talk about those. Or when I'm when I'm thinking hard, my face looks like this. And I know some kids think that means I'm mad. So I just like to say that up front, because sometimes when I'm really thinking, it looks like I'm mad. So what about for you? What does it look like when you're mad? What does it look like when you're thinking? Like the weirdness of it, let's just bring it in the room because it's already there. Um, and again, I feel like that's part of where pace can be helpful, that, that we're accepting of ourselves and our shortcomings and we can be curious with ourselves and, and have some pretty radical compassion and empathy for maybe how hard it is to be a foster parent. Um, and that doesn't diminish how hard it is for the child in your home. We, you know, there's room for both. So we can have a space to say, this is really hard so that you can come back in with your kiddo and be present and be be the grown up right and not take it out on them you're hard you're making this hard no 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 that's not what's happening this is hard we're in this tough story together but we're going to find our way through i love that so help me understand um the 
differences in the model between acceptance and empathy? Yeah, that's a good question. The So empathy actually activates the feeling part of our brain. So empathy is sometimes too much for people. Mm. Uh, sometimes empathy sends us into our own pain or rage or shame. And, and it's so intense that we want to shut it down. And so inadvertently, we stop accepting, we stop empathizing, we, we stop being curious, and we just go into, you're all right, it's okay, you don't, you know, buck up, buttercup, right? So if you're finding yourself trending that direction, flipping back into acceptance, you know, finding your compassionate brain, um, that's a different part of your brain that doesn't involve the feeling center quite so intensely. So you can you can activate compassion for where this kiddo came from without having to feel all of the pain with them. Mm. Um, and so some ways to do that if if this is an area that's a struggle, you know, some things can be helpful to like imagine them as a teeny baby. You know, what was their life like when they were a teeny tiny baby? What do you wish it could have been like for them? Um, it might be helpful to think about all of their different ages that are wrapped up in their chronological age, that really attachment wise, they might be more like a, an infant and street smarts wise, they're 52 mm -hmm. and <laughs> chronologically 12 and emotional development is at like four, right? So if, if we can hold that there's a four-year-old in that 12-year-old and a 52-year-old, so let's not be disrespectful to what they, they have known and earned, you know, hard in a, in a really hard way, um, those, can, those kinds of things are more of a mental exercise that activates compassion. And, um, and so then we can, again, go into accepting that they have big feelings, accepting that they need some help co-regulating those, those behaviors and emotions before they're going to have the capacity to do it on their own because they just haven't had enough practice. And, and those highways in the brain are pretty strong, uh, pretty, you know, they have some super speed highways to defense, self-protection, um, and it makes sense that they do but gosh, it hurts when it's coming out at you. I love that you brought up this like idea of transference where you may be with a kid or, or with someone and they trigger something in you. And yeah. then actually you lose all your capacity to be empathetic. And I hadn't thought about that, but I have had mentors come to me and say, this, this is too close to home. Yes. And I personally, as a social worker, have had relationships with parents where like there was one particularly that reminded me a lot of my mother in my relationship Yep. in my capacity for empathy for her. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know if she should be a foster mom. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was mm -hmm. really transferring a lot of my stuff. She, she was like, fine woman, you know, like right. there's nothing. Right. It was all me that was right. adding to this. Um, and then there's more shame. Cause you're like, how can I not have empathy for this? Like, yes. how am I not better at this? So I love these like practical mental exercises that you can do. And if you want to, it does present an opportunity for you to go and work on some of those things that you have to work on that have yes. to do with your childhood yes. or those relationships that you're, that are coming up for you. And I think the awareness there of like, this is triggering something in me that's a little different than what just what this kid's bringing to the table. 
Yeah. I talk with therapists and social workers a lot about the that this is nervous system therapy and my nervous system comes in the room. So if I'm stressed out because, you know, my kid's homesick from school or because I'm dealing with some, you know, aging parent thing or whatever it is, or that one parent has a facial expression that's just like when my parent, what my parent looked like when they were drinking too much or whatever, like whatever the scenario is, we really do have to do our own work. It's it's not really ethical for us to ignore that stuff because we know, we know that trauma begets trauma. And so if we're, if we're not dealing with our own stuff, um, we're putting, you know, ourselves and our clients in a dicey situation. Not, not that anyone's going to be perfect, but that there are going to be times, you know, certainly I've had times that I have to say after the fact, gosh, I was not my most peaceful self. I really got into my head around, you know, X, Y, and Z, and I apologize. That wasn't very helpful. And it probably didn't feel very safe to you. I've had that conversation with kids and adults, you know, parents that I got into my defense brain with like, just, just do better than after, I didn't say it just like that, but that was the tone. They got it. Sure. No, I totally get that. And so now like my brain's going to this place of, I'm like, okay, so if you can do empathy and do it really well, I'm yeah. like, is it more of this objective? Like you're able to detach your <laughs> And then I'm like, no, that's not empathy at all. Empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about like empathy done well? So I think, um, let's see if I can talk about that. <laughs> I think, I think we all know what it feels like. We know, we know what it feels like when somebody is feeling with us. Mm. You know, I think about sympathy cards and they've always rubbed me the wrong way where I feel, I feel like in every sympathy card, every, every time somebody's grieving, I just want to say, you know, I'm here and this sucks and I love you there usually aren't words that fix something. There usually aren't words that create necessarily a sense of empathy. Um, a lot of times it's coming alongside and being quiet. Of course you have moments where you regret, you know, fostering or, or adopting or, but I think even more to go to push into the empathy piece, it's making a space that's safe enough for that person to be their full self. Mm. And sometimes that means the ugly stuff. So, you know, when I can, you know, I think about some of the people that I feel the safest with and really it's around the, you know, the quirkiest or the most vulnerable or the, um, the things I'm embarrassed about that I can be real with them about and not be afraid or, or be afraid and still be loved. Um, that's, that's what empathy feels like. And so I think that's what we want to create for families for kids is, is, you know, your worst self is safe with me. Mm. We're in this together and I see you, I see amazing you. And I see ways you have learned to be really strong and keep other people away because they haven't always been safe for you. You know, that makes sense. That really makes sense. Yeah. And kids need that. And boy, like, do we, we all need that. We need those yes. people. It reminds me of, we used to have this parents empowerment trail where like, while their kids were in session, they could just go on this nature trail and there were stations where they could do mm. yoga or meditation. But one of the stations was like to write down something that like, you feel like you can't tell anyone, like, I hate my kid 
or like whatever it is, this thing that you can't say that at church, you know, you can't say that after you've signed the adoption papers or whatever. And then they just wipe it away. It's just a practice of being able to get it out and they don't care about anyone. Um, beautiful. I love, but yeah, that, that is so necessary and to give them that. And I, know that myself and I try really hard to make sure our locations, our program directors know that this is our philosophy, but like, it's so easy to be like, you know, if the parents would just, you know, (laughs) like we, you know, if, if, if the school would just, if all these people would just, and we lose all of our pace lens, we lose all of our lens when we're thinking about anybody other than the kids. So that's a really, um, I just love how you wrapped up empathy and how we can have it for everyone. Everyone really, really needs it. Yeah. And th- this is happening layer, layer to layer to layer. So I, I'm coaching parents on how to be paceful with their kids, but I'm also trying to be paceful with parents and their kids, obviously, but I'm being paceful with parents and accepting their big feelings. And, and I need somebody to be paceful with me. You know, I need a supervisor. I need a, a peer group where I can say the worst things, where I can say, I am so frustrated with this parent or with this kid. Um, because just like we we tell parents, you can't go in with a fix it mentality. Like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna teach you how to live. That's, no one wants that. Mm-hmm. Well, parents don't want that from me either. Right. So I can't, I can't go in with my agenda. I just, I need, I first need to hear where you are, you know, what what's happening for you and we together will figure out what this journey can look like. How do we bring out the best in your brain and your kiddo's brain? And um, and what can that look like going forward? And it's kind of relieving when you learn, when you realize like, oh, the model's the same. Like yes. it's, it's, it's the same tools that I yes. have yes, already learned. it is, yes, that's right. I love that. Absolutely. Right. There's a little bit of that. Like there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> you know, these are, these are all, there's different ways to package it. And so that's part of why I, um, you know, with brave brains and with the resources that I create, none of it is, you know, throw out everything else and do it only this way. It's really, it's really that shift. It's really that, that, you know, that lens that a little bit of a shift in language, a little bit of shift in perspective. And, um, and we can see, big changes come from that. It can be really powerful. I, I love it so much. Okay. Let's, um, I want to make sure, I know that you have promoted your book a little bit in your services, but I want to make sure that you, you know, if anybody's wants to reach out or, um, what you offer, I want to make sure that you promote it sure. fully. So let yeah. us know what you got going on. So if you want to learn more about Pace and see it in story form, my new release is Riley the Brave Makes It to School. Um, it's a it's a big, bright, beautiful picture book, and um, it's been it's been really well received. I've gotten messages from people about how it's helping them with their back to school and um, different tools in the book being being now part of their morning routines and things like that. So that's been really, really lovely. I also have a whole host of free resources for parents at RileyTheBrave.org. Um, there's there's a parents corner that has a, a free webinar and all kinds of other things, and that's also where my um, shop is, where you can find you know posters and books and digital resources and T-shirts and all kinds of things. And then for professionals, though many a parent wanders over there too. At bravebrains.com, there's another 
um, there's a, a page specifically for schools, specifically for community providers, another resources page and information about booking events and um, upcoming events and things like that. Oh, I love it. We need more. I love service providers that end up taking, you know, all of their all of their knowledge and putting it together in a really approachable format so that the resources resources are out there because we know that there's it's an isol it can be an isolating journey. Oh, sure. man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. love it. Well, thank you so much for for coming on. This was so helpful. I feel like so much practical uh, exercises for people to use. Good. And also, you know, it's just so nice that it's like we can all do it. I know that when I yes. started this, it was like there's so much like you have to be a therapist or how are we intervening with these kids? And I don't know what I can do. And I don't know much about that. And you don't you don't need to know much to be a human with another. human, Right. That's right. That's exactly right. so much for joining me for another episode of the stable moments podcast i hope that was helpful next time you're hanging out with a kiddo try some of the pace model try to get playful accepting curious and empathetic see how that works for you see what comes up for you see if you're able to label it and accept it and say to the kid hey this is what's happening for me and see if you can talk through that and just be a little bit more human right I'm really excited for next month's podcast. You know, it was a little while ago that I had written a blog post, Why We Don't Pray For Them. And it's to this date, my most viewed blog post. So you can go check that out. Um, but it's a little controversial, right? Because people love prayer. And um, why would you say we don't pray for them? So if you're wondering what my take is on that, you can go on the Stable Moments website and check out that blog post. And after you read that blog post, if you're like, wait, but I want to be able to pray for them, what can I do? Then tune in to next month's because we're talking to Jackie from Ignite Hope, who has a whole ministry around strategic prayer for orphan care. So we are going to figure out where prayer fits in and how we can do that effectively. All right, I'm gonna look out for your introductions in the Stable Moments Podcast Facebook group. I can't wait to hear from you all and see what brought you here and what brought you to serving children in foster care. If this episode has helped you, make sure to share it with somebody else. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would be great if you could leave a rating and a review. It always helps to get more people to hear this content. All right, guys, I will talk to you next month. And until then, remember, you're a big deal. Thank you for doing your part in ending the foster care crisis.